Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Titus in chapter 3, verse 2, we're to be uncontentious, verse 2. The New King James says peaceable, the NIV says the same. The ESV says we're to avoid quarreling. Boy, if we could get this one together, we'd be doing pretty well, huh? Some of you parents just say, I would just like the backseat of my car to find fulfillment in Titus 3, 2. Stop fighting! <laughs> we are to show, we're to be gentle. Look at middle of verse 2. These are things that we ought to be doing on the positive side. We Negative side, don't malign. Don't be contentious. Positive. The word gentle there. And we are to show every consideration. The ESV has a nice rendering of this. It, show, it says to show perfect courtesy. The NIV renders it show true humility for all men. We know that gentleness uh, is a word that's, that often has the idea of meekness, which is simply power under control. That's what Jesus was. He had all the power. He could have called down legions of angels. He could have destroyed the landscape from the cross if he wanted to, but he kept the power, what, under control. That's, that's the idea of gentleness. Perfect courtesy. Let me ask you a question. How many courteous people have you met in the last year? where you're blown away by their courtesy. Courtesy and respect for authority. Just, just take the two principles we're teaching right now. Respect for authority. Look, if, if we lose respect for authority in the world, you know, and, and that is happening right now, and I suppose every, every generation could say that the younger generation maybe has lost some respect. But respect for authority is kind of the big picture here, and courtesy is another big picture. How about, you know what, how about we just hold the door open for somebody, or maybe when someone walks in the room who's elderly or a woman, wouldn't it shock you ladies if we stood up when you entered a room? We, you might think there was a rat on the floor or something. Why are, they, why are they all standing up? What's going on around here? But these, these things that we do, respect and courtesy, often give us a platform to the, for the gospel. They help us adorn the gospel. In other words, if you are courteous to someone, they might wonder, what, what makes this person tick? Why do they have such respect for authority? Why, do they, why are they so different? And then you might say, well, here's why I'm different. Because I know the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's changed my life. And so this is, these are the, the things that the Christian church should be doing. You say, well, it's hard, Pastor Michael. Sometimes when... It's in, it might be in my heart to do it, but then out of my mouth comes something different. <laughs> you, ever, you ever find yourself in a pattern where you might have a blowout with somebody or you might handle a situation very poorly and you say to yourself after it's done, and you may even apologize, all right, next time, I'm gonna handle that one different. And then it happens again and you do the exact same thing. And you say, oh, Wicked man that I am. Sinful man. Who will save me from the body of this death? Why should I act that way? You might ask that as a Christian. Why, why not just repay evil for evil, insult for insult? Especially on the 91. 
I mean, doesn't it seem justified? <laughs> Have you ever had a day when you're driving and you're a little early that day and everybody behind you seems to be this crazy person on your tail like and then have you ever changed positions with them? You can't realize why everybody's driving so slow when you need to be somewhere. I believe that other drivers should be able to read my mind. <laughs> Do you not? Don't you think with the modern advancements that we have today, that that little voice in the car could say, the driver behind you is very angry right now. <laughs> Move your car 15 feet to the right to avoid any further trouble. That would be an invention. Maybe some of you should work on that. Here's the reason. We also, verse 3, we also were once what? We were foolish. The Greek word here is anatos, and it has the idea of once, at one time, we didn't get it either. We just didn't get it. We ourselves were foolish. You know, Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart what? There is no God. That, that seems to be in Psalm 14.1, by the way, a mantra. There is no God, therefore I can do what I want. If you read the, the next few verses in Psalm 14, this is not a person that is like making a scientific statement. This is a person who says, if I can say there's no God, then I can do what I want. If I suppress the truth in unrighteousness and push it away, then I can live how I want. Do you know some of the most famous people that were close to Darwin said that very thing? They said, look, the evidence is not overwhelming for evolutionary theory. In fact, there is none. <laughs> However, the only other option we have is a creator, and that messes with my lifestyle. So the fool says there's no God because maybe he hasn't investigated the evidence or maybe he's experienced a disappointment by watching another Christian or there could be a whole myriad of things. But look, you, if you're a Christian this morning, you were once foolish too. Should we go back and look at, you know, sometimes when we've been Christians for decades, we forget how we were. We have to be reminded sometimes because we were in the same boat. And by the way, to go with the boat analogy, think of the Titanic. We were in a sinking boat we were on board, foolish, in the same boat. We didn't know any better. How many truths have transformed your life since you became a Christian? How many things have you read or heard about in Scripture where you went, oh, ooh, well, I, well, I wasn't doing that. Or I thought the opposite of that. Well, we were once foolish. We were once disobedient. Look at this. This is an ugly list. We were deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy. Those are two ugly twins, malice and envy. Hateful and hating one another. Wow. That was us. Malice is wishing people evil while envy is resenting and coveting their good. Let me say that one more time. Malice is wishing people evil while envy is res resenting and coveting their good. They don't deserve it. Malice and envy, hate and hatred. Do you know that there's a lot of people, they will spend their life doing this stuff and they will go to their grave in hatred. And that is a sad life to live. And that's, when you run into somebody 
Maybe the emotion, instead of taking everything personally, needs to shift to, you know what, they don't know any better. They don't know the Lord. They haven't experienced his love and kindness. They're a life without grace. We had a, when we went through the book of Philippians, we were confronted with these words, and I'll tell you what, let's go there because this is important. Philippians chapter two, just a few pages back in your New Testament. Go to Philippians two, look at verse 12. Paul's been talking about the incredible incarnation of Christ and that he paid our ransom price and he's been exalted to this high place. In light of all that he's done for us, it says, so then, Philippians 2.12, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, we're not to work for our salvation, Philippians 2.12, we're to work it out. God gives us salvation, but we're to work out that salvation in our everyday living. God's at work in us. We're to do how many things? Philippians 2.14, this is what we affectionately call on the golf course, P2.14, so that if we start grumbling and complaining on the golf course, and if there's ever a place to grumble and complain, it's the golf course, especially if you have a game like mine. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of, think of the Cretan Island or think of anywhere, of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. In other words, when you don't behave with malice and envy, when you don't quarrel about everything, when you show perfect courtesy and consideration, the world goes, what in the world? Where does that come from? Why does he behave that way or she behave that way? Back to Titus 3. And you begin to adorn the gospel. You begin to show people who Jesus is. Look, we're all in the sinking boat. We all lived in ignorance and unbelief. Paul even said that's what he did. He was shown mercy even though he was a blasphemer and a persecutor of the church. He said, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly and I was in unbelief. Christians are called to live a life of love. Look at verse four. This is, this is now that, what scholars believe is that creedal statement, Titus three, verse four. But it says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. We talked about the appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ in Titus 2.11, first and second coming, Titus 2.11, first coming. Titus 2.13, second coming. When that kindness of God our Savior, Jesus Christ is our God and Savior, Titus 2.13, and his love for mankind appeared. See his love for mankind there? That's the Greek word philanthropia. That's where we get philanthropic or a philanthropist. When God's kindness showed up and his love for mankind, here is a sweeping statement. It's a great statement. God loves humanity. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him. God demonstrated his love for us, us Romans 5, 8, in this, that while we were what? Yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't earn his love. His love for mankind is amazing, and it showed up. 
it, it became uh, physical or in a person, in the person of Jesus Christ. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance, O oh Lord. It's his kindness. You are listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. I'm Mike Massaro, and I know what you're thinking. Wait, why are you interrupting Pastor Michael's sermon? Well, I have a good reason. Since Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported program, it relies on donations from people just like you to stay on the air. And trust me, you can't always assume that someone else is going to be the one doing the donating. So if God has blessed you through our ministry, we'd encourage you to go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the donate button. Let's face it, the way the world's going these days, we need all the solid teaching we can get. So partner with us today. That's livingtruthradio.org. Now, back to Pastor Michael. You see, he is a God full of loving kindness. The psalmist says, your loving kindness, your hesed, your loyal love is better than life. There is no savior but God. And he saved us. I want you to think of that Titanic ship. He saved us, verse 5, not on the basis of deeds, even though we should be zealous for good deeds, and that's been a push in this letter. He did not save us on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. But what was it? According to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. He saved us. You cannot save yourself. Decades ago, Shirley MacLaine said, just look within. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't look within. All you'll find is a deceitful heart that's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, 9. Look up. If you want to be saved, look up. Don't look within. D.L. Moody says, it was my sad lot to be in the Chicago fire. As the flames rolled down our streets, destroying everything in their onward march, I saw the great and the honorable, the learned and the wise, fleeing before the fire with the beggar and the thief and the harlot. All were alike. As the flames swept through the city, it was like judgment day. The mayor, nor the mighty men, nor the wise men could stop these flames. They were all on one level then. And many who were worth hundreds of thousands were left paupers on that night. When the day of judgment comes, there will be no difference. When the deluge came, there was no difference. Noah's ark was worth more than all the world. The day before, it was the world's laughing stock. And if it had been put up to auction, you could not have gotten anybody to buy it except for firewood, says Moody. But the deluge came, and then it was worth more than all the world together. And when the day of judgment comes, Christ will be worth more than all this world, more than 10,000 worlds, close quote. You see, the world didn't understand. And Noah and his family got on the ark and the flood came and swept them all away. But Jesus saves. You know, sometimes we, we maybe see people who are wearing those sandwich board you know, placards or they're holding a sign, Jesus saves, and we're like, what is that? Is that actually what the Bible teaches? Didn't Jesus just come to show us how to be good people and show, isn't he just one way shower, one good prophet? Oh, no, 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 folks. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and from his own lips, and no one's coming to the Father except through him. 
You can either believe that or reject it. But there it is. Jesus saves. And he doesn't save us on the basis of good deeds. Paul wants to make sure that we know it was God's mercy that saved us. And that salvation uh, comes out in the work of the Holy Spirit at the end of verse 5. It's the washing of regeneration. Think about that word, regenerate, means really to make new. God doesn't want to just patch you up, by the way. He's not looking to just put a few band-aids on your trouble spots. He wants to make you brand new. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new has come. New things have come. We are new creations in Christ. You say, well, if I am new, why do I look the same in the mirror? <laughs> because there's three tenses of salvation. What's already happened, you've been saved. What is happening to you now, God is breaking the power of sin. Here's, here's three Ps. God has dealt with the penalty of sin. If you're a note taker, write this down. This is very important. Three tenses of salvation. He has dealt with the penalty of sin. Jesus took that penalty at the cross. He's now dealing with the power of sin in your life, breaking the chains little by little, sanctification. So you have justification. The penalty has been paid in full by Christ. Sanctification, God's dealing with the power of sin in your life. And one day, he will eradicate the presence of sin because then there will be a new Jerusalem. Everything that was old will be passed. Behold, I make all things new, all things, not some. And the presence of sin will be gone. And we live in the in-between. And we've been regenerated and renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit because God is rich in mercy and now we live through Jesus Christ. There are many reasons God saves you. This is a, a neat little section from Max Lucado. He writes, there are many reasons God saves you to bring glory to himself, to appease his justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty. One of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because he's fond of you. He likes having you around. In fact, the Bible says he loves you. He thinks you are the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. And whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and he chose to live in your heart. And the Christmas gift that he sent to you in Bethlehem, well, face it, friend, he's crazy about you. Amen? God loves you, my friend. He loves me. I don't always understand it. And sometimes I have even a hard time living in the reality of it, to be quite candid. But he loves me. You say, well, but, but how could you really know that, Pastor Michael? Because he demonstrated his love. Would you all look on the wall? on a death instrument at the cross. That's how I know. If he didn't care about me, he wouldn't have entered into my pain. He wouldn't have entered into time and space. He wouldn't have taken that horrible beating and death at the cross. If he didn't love you, there would be no cross. He would have said, no, thank you. They're not worth it. Or I don't want to go through that. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of things that we might think are worth it, but we're not sure we want to go through it. Everybody with me? A lot of things that we fail to do when we know the right thing to do because we just are not sure that we're up for it. But we were washed. 
This speaks of an inner purification, though it's pictured in baptism, and the early church fathers apparently thought that this spoke of baptism. I think it's clear that this is the reality of an inner cleansing. God cleanses our heart. It's regeneration and renewal. There was a man who came to Jesus by night, John 3, and he said, teacher, good teacher, we know that uh, you must be from God. No one can do the works that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, I tell you, you must be born, what? Again. And Nicodemus asked the natural physical question, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, no, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. I'm speaking to you about spiritual things, Nicodemus. You must have a new start. You must be born again. And here is the radical new beginning that Christians experience. You know, there's a pretty ugly list in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and it includes those who were fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. And it says they want to inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. God washed me in the blood of his son. Amen? I am now clean before the Father because of the finished work of the Son. And he poured out this blessing, verse 6, richly upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. The idea of pouring out is from Joel 2, and it has the language of the book of Acts. God pours forth his Spirit. He pours it out richly is the idea here. You might want to note that in the verses we've looked at, the whole Godhead is involved, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They join forces in accomplishing the work of salvation. That being justified, verse 7, by his grace. That's how we are justified. The word there means to be declared righteous by his grace. We, we might be made heirs, and that's what we are now, according to the hope of eternal life. One of the most beautiful pictures of being an, a co-heir with Christ is adoption. And Corey, I don't think that we scheduled this day by accident. I know that's how God works, right? And one of the things that your ministry does is you go into places that are very ugly and you go in often undercover to try to rescue, especially young girls, but it could be women of, of any age, out of slavery. And you often have to pay a price, right? There's a, there's a ransom price to pay to deliver them out of the bondage. And once they're out of the bondage and they've experienced that freedom, you've told us the story. There's joy in rejoicing. It's the gospel. God bought us with the blood of his son, adopted us into his family, and has made us co-heirs with Christ, and he's gonna give us, folks, this is amazing, everything. Some of you hear stuff like this and you say, wow, that, that, that's awesome, but, but how many of you are yeah, but, yeah, but people? Yeah, but, but, yeah, but. Pastor John likes to say that everything that comes after but is baloney. <laughs> I'll let you consider how true that is. <laughs> yeah, but really? This, this is how much God loves me? Are you sure, Paul? Look at verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement. 
And concerning these things, Christian, I want you to speak. How? It doesn't say sheepishly. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Don't be ashamed of it. Speak confidently. Speak boldly. Look, what does the world have? There is no solution to the human dilemma without the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're lost. The Titanic's going down, baby. And all there are are the frigid waters. And that's it. If there's no Jesus and no resurrection and no, no hope of a life to come, that's it. But Paul says, look, this is trustworthy. So you speak confidently, look at middle of eight, so that those who have believed God, and he comes full circle back to good works, may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good, and they are profitable for men and women. So how did the love of God appear toward man? Yeah, verse five says, he saved us. And, uh, you know, we can stop right there and just talk about how that love appeared. It appeared in the person of Christ. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you've seen God. When he loved people on the planet, whether he was interacting with a prostitute, a tax collector, a leper, someone blind, someone with a desperate flow of blood. Basically a sinner, which uh, we can look in the mirror. Yeah. Anybody who was just, you know, willing just to try to reach out and touch him. Uh, and even those who didn't even initiate with him. <laughs> and he initiated with them like the blind man. Um, the love of God was being displayed, Oscar. And the ultimate display of the love of God, you mentioned before we came on air, is at the cross. That's where God put his love on display. Romans 5.8, he demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the cross is the ultimate display of that love, but, but he displayed that love in his actions as well as he touched people, spoke words of life, um, so many things that we could talk about. So it said that he saved us. What I've heard you mention that before. People are told that through Christian radio, if you want to be saved, what are we saved from? What does that mean? Well, he saved us literally from the consequences of our own choices, our own sin. And in another sense, he saved us from his own wrath. So it goes hand in hand. So he did something to save us from the consequences of what we've created by disobeying God, by committing sin, by transgressing the law, failing to do the right thing, dot, 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 breaking the Ten Commandments. But he also saved us from the wrath to come because he is a just judge. And so he satisfies his wrath by taking it upon himself instead of pouring it upon us. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry, and we have an opportunity to expand our reach. We exist to build up believers and reach out with the gospel to others. And we need you, our listening family, to partner with us in prayer and in giving in order to do that. You can give in a couple different ways. One way is to go online to livingtruthradio.org, or you can send in your offering to Living Truth Christian Fellowship, 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.